the unknown is super scary don't be scared go for it and you will reach new heights this is the creative voyage podcast a long-form interview show with the mission to help creative professionals level up i'm your host mario de one i'm a creative professional myself active in the fields of graphic design, art direction, and creative consulting, working with companies such as Skinfolk, Menu, and Sonos. Through season one of this podcast, I present in-depth interviews with some of the world's most inspiring creative professionals, revealing the stories that shape their lives and careers, plus actionable strategies to help you take your mindset and skills to the next level. I invite you to join me on this journey. In this episode, I talk to an illustrator, visual artist, and an occasional art director. I'm Rijn Hoss. I'm from Utrecht, the Netherlands. I live here now for 20 years since I did my studies. Just turned 40. So I like to, to work in multiple disciplines. I think that's important for my profile, to see things a bit broader than only illustration. Marijn has worked for clients such as Apple, Nickelodeon, Calvin Klein, Dropbox, New York Times, Coca-Cola, Nike, Wired Magazine, and Adobe, to name a few. I find his work authentic, layered, and even though there are certain styles or themes which he explores more than others, there's a lot of breadth, which I particularly like. Besides illustration, he works on sculptures, art direction, and films in collaboration with his brother Yurian, and he also exhibits his work internationally. At the time of this conversation, Marijn has been working in a field for 14 plus years, which finds him mid-career and in a position where he seems to be thriving as an illustrator and creative professional. In this episode, we're going to listen to the highlights of the conversation I had with Marijn in September 2018. We cover topics such as his work routines, advice to illustrators who are just starting out, his experience with ADHD, what makes a good illustration brief, how he develops his style, and much more. Marijn got his first commission, almost by chance, just out of the university. It was a six-month-long freelance gig for the kids' company in Amsterdam, where he was in charge of the whole line, which also included stuffed dolls, final figures, props for photo shoots. At the time, he wasn't even aware that all those different tasks were part of the profession. Even though he studied illustration, experience during that job made him think for the very first time that illustration could actually be a cool profession, and that set him off on his journey. I've started my conversation with Marijn, asking him what advice he would give to a new talent entering into illustration. The main thing I always say is don't follow trends. You're always behind if you follow trends. You will never be significant if you, for example, now start working in like a Memphis direction or it's not something that you figured out yourself. And that way it's, it's not going to be special. And I think that's, that's an important one. Just try to, to come up with something that you found out yourself, I guess. You can get inspiration from all of those things, but try to make it your own. Add something special. And also, if you're an illustrator, I would look further for inspiration than only to look at other inspiration, but look at other disciplines, go to museums, look at photo books, look around you, look at fashion, look at whatever. But I think... Looking in a broader way for inspiration would, would benefit you much more than have like a tunnel vision on other illustrators and, and look at what, what they do because yeah. you don't want to become like them. You want to become your own person your, with your own style and your own qualities. That's important. Mm-hmm. 
this is a major one, I guess. Yeah, the other thing is you really have to put in the time. Work hard, work every day. Don't wait for assignments, self-initiate. If you're thinking, I want to do a design for a dress, you should get in touch with someone on your own level that designs dresses and said, hey, let's collaborate. I want to do like a cool design, like a, a cool pattern. I print the fabric, you make a dress, shoot some pictures of that, get those pictures out there. That's also super important to not wait for things to come to you, but yeah, just go for it. Yeah, to be proactive about it. Yeah. Like you have to be proactive and also patient. Yeah, you have to be patient. And then the other thing is, don't get every image you create out there, only the images that you're really proud of and be selective with what you show to the world. As passionate creative professionals, it's often hard to separate the quote-unquote work from the quote-unquote life. It's something that perhaps we shouldn't be trying to do and instead aim at a more healthy integration of work in our life. Of course, there's not one single answer to that question, and it really depends on the individual to individual. So I was interested in hearing what Marian's work routines are. I usually start working at 7.30 in the morning because in the morning I have all the energy and like my head is clear and like from 7.30 till 11 I do, I think I kind of do the majority of the work. Mm -hmm. And then after that, some emails and then back to work till about 6, 6.30. Mm -hmm. And then I try not to work in the evening, but I always end up working. Okay. I kind of kind of work all the time. Also, if I have the time in the weekend, my studio is downstairs, my house. I have I live in like a special building. It's uh, the first floor is like studio space, sixty square meters, and then my living room and kitchen are on top of that, and on top of that it's the bedroom. So it's oh, uh, nice. It's designed for this type of work. Yeah. <laughs> also, because uh, I work a lot with clients in the U.S. and other parts of the world, it's super helpful for the time difference that you're close to your work and not yes i have to do stuff in the evening and it's convenient this way yeah work for me is super organic it's just part of who i am and what i do and work and free time they they flow together naturally i don't know work is life i guess yeah in a way yeah it is yeah <laughs> it sounds scary but um it makes me happy like when i'm on a holiday i'm answering emails i kind of work all the time and uh, yeah that's okay. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's like finding what works for you. There's not like one solution to, to like a work schedule. That's one thing. And then also, if you actually enjoy what you're doing and it fits you, then that's actually perfect. And it's actually, I think, better to aim for that instead of having the work-life balance, having the work-life integration. Yeah. Then it's like life. Like it's all just like one flow instead of maybe having the work part, which is... Maybe something, what you don't like that much, and then the other part. So I think yeah. that's good. Well, for example, this summer, I went to Iceland for a week. And when I came back, I said to myself, after that break, I'm not going to work for three weeks. I had a very busy first half of the year, and I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to force myself not to do anything, mm -hmm. but being in, my, in the house or around the house or in the Netherlands, it made me miserable. I was like... <laughs> After three days, I think, what am I doing, man? And I just got back to work. <laughs> and so how does your day look like in regards to the type of work you do? Like how much is it actually, I don't know, working on like a, a solution for an assignment? 
you probably have like a more like a research experimental phase then there's the refinement phase there's a lot of those administration things like how does that yeah looks like in your day i would say like doing emails and the administrative part is i think it's about 10 percent. i'm lucky to have a real good agent in new york that helps out with all the contracts and uh keeps an agenda f- with projects and i'm in touch on a daily basis and I can really focus on the work instead of being busy and negotiating with clients or yeah, it's a, it's a good team that way. So working on a creative is like the majority of the day and same with uh, my agent in, uh, in Helsinki, Becca, they help out similar. That's really good. Sounds really, really good. Yeah, that's really nice. And then the administration part, like the invoices and all that stuff, they do that as well. So that's nice. And then taxes, I have someone for that. I'm not doing that myself. I really believe that if somebody else is better in that, they should do it. When I was researching for my conversation with Marijn, I read an interview he did for Fontanel, where he talked about his experience with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. The condition is characterized by problems paying attention, excessive activity, or difficulty controlling behavior which is not appropriate for a person's age. Up to 50% of people diagnosed in childhood continue to have symptoms into adulthood, and between 2-5% to of adults have the condition. In the mentioned interview, Ryan talked about the drastic changes he did in his personal life as a way of managing the condition. I found his solution compelling, so I've asked him to share his experience with ADHD and how in the end, a tidy desktop resulted in a tidy headspace. I have HDAD, like attention disorder. Mm-hmm. So I used to be... Like everything around me was like one big mess. The house was a mess. My desktop was a mess. The studio was a mess. My administration was a mess. Everything. I was living unhealthy. I was just working. And then one day, yeah, I don't know. It was enough and it got too busy in my head. So I thought I should see like a psychologist and uh, talk to him about it. I went there and then he said like, okay, okay. We're going to give you Ritalin. And I was like, what? And he gave me a re- recipe and I went to the, I got it. And I, I still have the little box here, mm-hmm. but they were on the table for three weeks. And I thought like, no fucking way. I'm not going to take those pills because I obviously read about it and they mess with your creativity as well. They make, make you a more flat person. And I was like, no, no, this can't be the solution. So I bought a book self-help book about HDAD and at the third page there was this sentence and it said like organize your life it will make your head clear and I never finished the rest of the book and I was like okay this is what I'm gonna do so (laughs) I kind of flipped the script and I went really obsessive with organizing my life so I started cleaning everything up threw away everything in the surrounding that were distractions got a good agenda Cleared my desktop, keep everything super organized. My pen has its own place. My jacket has its own place. It drives my wife crazy, but uh, <laughs> I've been doing that for the, yeah, I guess the last uh, maybe six, seven years now. And it really changed my life. It's everything is so much clearer now. And, and I'm still super busy in my head, but now it's okay because the rest is clear. So yeah. I'm much more productive and maybe even more professional. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really helped. That's what I did. Were you like diagnosed with ADHD like yeah. as, as, as a kid already? Like did you were you, like aware of that? 
I was aware of that already. Yeah, that's uh, as a kid already, and that's that's why I was always looking for tension, like, uh, and that's why I end up doing graffiti or skateboarding just to to look for excitement, to yeah, to get the energy out. And I think I was pretty lucky to find those things in my life because a lot of other people find those things in drugs and things like that. So yeah, yeah, this was your release, of yeah, all, which which is good, yeah. So you had like a very let's say drastic change yes are you are you still kind of keeping it up like that like yeah yeah i'm still keeping it up i had this one thing that i was still doing that i stopped with three years ago and that every friday i would go to a bar and drink like 12 beers i thought i needed that to to clear the head or something Ah. and uh, like a stress relief i was always thinking this is such bullshit and then uh, three years ago i was like i still remember i I was on my bike back from the bar on a Friday night and I thought like, okay, this was it. I'm done. So I, I kind of quit drinking as well. I started exercising and get a more healthy lifestyle. And I think that was the last step in flipping the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did me well. Growth seems to be a determining factor of long-term career success and personal satisfaction. By looking at Brian's portfolio, it's easy to observe how he changed from early, more figurative, drawing-based illustration to current, more abstract, textured and tonally rich work. I wanted to hear how Marijn is making sure that besides working on client assignments, he also develops as an artist, illustrator and creative professional. I know it's super important to keep developing yourself because otherwise at some point you get behind because people get tired of what you do. But it happens naturally, I must say. At this moment, I'm working on stuff that nobody has seen before and that I probably won't show for the next year or something (laughs) till I'm confident with it myself. But I'm always working on new stuff. Yeah, to keep things exciting, but also as a reminder that I shouldn't be too comfortable with what I'm doing now. And it's fun. It's like the stuff that I do on the side that I won't show (laughs) to the world at the moment yet. It's kind of my hobby, you know? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like for you it's very yeah, organic and natural. And the fun thing is when I show it in a year, yeah, probably not a lot of people will understand it, but I'm pretty sure that in 2 or 3 years I will do assignments in the <laughs> with that type of work. Yeah, That's how yeah. it always goes. Yeah. It's almost like something that when you say it like that it's something which could even be like structured as a process in a way. Because, it is a okay. Process. Yeah, yeah, because in a way you seem to be even as a personality it sounds like quite open to those things and you just explore by by nature but even like for somebody who is maybe not like that what you're doing currently so kind of like exploring a certain thing which is exciting and probably something not often seen and just like incubating it for a while and then just releasing it to the world and then giving it a chance for like two three years it just almost sounds like it could be like a good strategy for yeah yeah it's my strategy and I don't think a lot of designers work like this. I think it's it's a bit strange and maybe to a lot of designers a bit radical. I don't even think about these things in a rational way. It just happens like this. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I'm just like kind of connecting the, the dots and I never thought about it in this way because I think that could also be a solution to the thing that you said at the beginning of not following trends and actually trying to be, let's say, a step ahead instead of a step behind and this is like one of those ways i guess yeah yeah you see it with the gradient and grain things that i did 
I started with those, I think the first time I showed, showed them, I think it was three, three and a half years ago. Not to brag or anything, but now you see it everywhere, that type of work. And it became a trend, but I yeah. did it before the trend. And I don't know, somehow that happens a lot to me. That's also the thing that in the beginning of my career in, uh, in 2004, when I was drawing the characters, not a lot of people did the characters. And because I was drawing characters, I think I was the only one in the Netherlands. People said, wait, we have to work with this guy. He's doing characters. And yeah. that's a similar approach. I, I was doing something in art school. Teachers didn't understand. Other students didn't understand. But then when I got out of art school, it just just hit or something. It was like, yeah. okay. I think it was kind of always in my DNA. And it's interesting how it sounds like you don't get discouraged. Because the thing is, like, if everybody around you is telling you, like, what the fuck is this? A lot of people will just be like, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to do whatever is expected. Yeah, but I'm quite confident because y- you always have this inner circle of friends and people you you know that, that have good taste and are ahead as well. And they encourage you to keep going. And, and you kind of know that you're on the right track with something. And um, Yeah, but I guess that, that comes also with experience because it can be maybe harder if you're like 19-year-old young person. Yeah, I guess I, back then I did, did it more subconsciously. Yeah. And now it's kind of the trademark, I guess. A crucial factor, which is a frequent source of struggle for illustrators, is making enough money to earn yourself a living. Especially as young professionals, it can be daunting to navigate the fees, quotes, rights, and how to structure that in your practice. Here Berain shares his advice on that. When you're a younger illustrator without an agent and a big brand comes up to you, you, you always have to, to consider a couple of things and that's how much time you, you need to work on it and you have to come up with a figure for that and you can depend that on like an hour, hourly rate and uh, multiply that with the hours that you think you're going to work with it. Yeah. Then you have to consider the usage, where they're going to use it for, is it print, is it only on web or social media or is it for television you have to consider all those things and those things add up in the fee yeah and then it also depends on the brand how huge is the brand there's not a specific rule i i think but it also depends on the budget that they have if they come up with with a really nice number and you feel comfortable with it you should go for it i guess yeah. There's a number of things to consider. It's just not just the hours that you work on it. But also, for example, if you work very fast and you, you have a style and you create an image in, in three hours and that image is going to be used everywhere around the world on billboards, you can't do that on an hourly rate, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like when you say, like, I ask 100 euros an hour, you only get 300 for those billboards. That's crazy. So you have to think about usage and... Um, it really depends on on how big the market is that they're gonna use the image in. But um, when you're young and somebody comes up to you with a with a job that size, looking back at it, I would probably get some advice from somebody. I would go to someone that helped me out. I, I'm pretty sure there there's like an if you go to an agent or even a, like an accountant or someone like that, they can help you out with that. I wouldn't deal deal with it myself if I didn't have to know how. I think that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it's... Just like, yeah, even like asking an agent for like a per project yeah, yeah, collaboration or something, yeah. It really depends on the market. Like if you do do something for a client, a national client in the Netherlands, 
for example. The market is way smaller than when you do something for, let's say, China or the US. It's much more visibility. Yeah. That's also something to consider. And then with editorial work, it's pretty clear. It's If you do an illustration for a newspaper, you get probably 350 euros to 550 and a cover is usually 1,000 to 2,000. And that's kind of standard rates. You can figure that out yourself, I guess. After a few Google searches, you're probably good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey friends, you're listening to the Creative Voyage podcast. We are roughly in the middle of this episode, so it's time for a short break. There's no team behind this show. It's solely produced and edited by me. Mario. I don't have any sponsors, and I have no plans to add any. Nevertheless, I can use all the help I can get growing the show. If you like what you've heard so far, there's three simple things you can do for me and future episodes. Number one, review the show on Apple Podcasts. Number two, tell a friend and share a link on social media. And number three, visit the shop on creative.voyage shop and support the show by buying bespoke Creative Voyage products. Thanks everyone, let's get back to the show. At this point in our conversation, I wanted to hear what are Mayrayan's current challenges, which led us to discuss the evolution of one's creative practice and how to navigate the motivations behind it. One thing that it, that's in my mind the last years, maybe the last five years already, is that where does this go in, where do I go into the future? Where am I going to do this work under the same profile till I get old? Or mm-hmm. I'm always thinking like, should I do like a next step, start a studio, maybe do a completely different career? I don't know. That's something I'm always thinking of. And then in the end, I always keep thinking... I'm super comfortable with with what I do and I'm happy with what I do. Why change it? But it's a constant thing that's in my head. That like, is it okay what I'm doing? Is it not something that's that is now and not the future? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes me nervous sometimes. But I think that's natural. And it's almost like, I'm not sure who said this quote and I'm probably not going to say it in the right way, but it's more like if you're worried about it, you shouldn't worry. And if you're not worrying about it, you should worry. Yeah. <laughs> kind of something like something in, the, in that way. Yeah. So I think, I think it, it is good to aim or try to be self-aware of those things and just keep them in front of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. It's a really good quote, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because then like, like sometimes yeah, you, you can get like a answer, which can be like a very, like a revelation and you make a sudden change or something. But often it's actually just like probably posing a question constantly or for a long time and over time you maybe like grew into the answer yeah it sounds esoteric but no almost everything is a lot of people say to me like what's your next step why don't you start a studio why don't you do this why don't you do that and then i'm like i'm super comfortable i'm happy with what i do i make good money it's all good so why change it yeah maybe because you want more but maybe i don't want more you know that's that's uh it always sticks in your head and um I mean, yeah, the motivation of like wanting more of something just because it seems to be like a thing to do or like a, just yeah. like a culturally like a thing to do, it's not the best motivation. It's more like the only potential issue is like if you become like too comfortable, then you're probably not growing. And then over time, you can just start feeling a bit like exactly uninspired or something. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I meant also. 
and I think more can be boring. Yeah. More, <laughs> more responsibilities, starting a studio that would give me different, a lot of more stress on different levels than the creative process. And yeah. I don't, don't want to focus on those. Yeah. That's then more if you're, yeah, in case you're interested in being a manager as well, then it's good. But if maybe you're not interested in no. that, then it's... <laughs> that's not me. Yeah, no. then, it's, then it's actually better not to do it because people often feel, just feel pressure that by culture, I guess, to do those next steps, but they're not for, for everyone. No. And it's good to know that of yourself. When commissioning illustration as a client or an art director, it's rare to get an insight on what is the best way to do it, especially from the other side of the table, directly from an illustrator. So I use this opportunity to ask Marijn what for him constitutes a good illustration brief. It makes me happy if, if the brief is very, very clear and specific because most of the time when clients ask me, they know very well what they want. I'm always super happy that they say like, okay, we ask you for what you do. We give you a lot of creative freedom because we're confident that you will come up with something cool. Mm -hmm. I like when the, the brief is specific and free that they ask me for what I do and that it's not like a puzzle to find out what they want. And then I come up with something and then it's like, oh no, that's not exactly what they want. And yeah, because a lot of the times they, they know exactly what they want. And yeah, I rather have that. They say it up front, than make me guess. And that's something that I learned in, in, in the last 10 or more years that when a briefing is not clear, ask, call them, go after it. For example, you said like, Let's say you get a specific brief and you kind of know what's expected. Do you just like do that task and that's it? Or do you, because you also said you like the freedom of it. So that can be like a two things which can be hard to reconcile. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you maybe like do then like two proposals or like you're like, okay, here's what you probably want and here's maybe what you might want. And it's something that I've been thinking about. How do you like do that? It depends on the brief, but if a brief is very specific, Mm -hmm. As a creative, I wouldn't want to piss off the art director by doing something completely else because on the one hand, it's, it's kind of cool, but you can do it as a suggestion next to the thing that he's asking. Yeah. I wouldn't only do something completely different if you, I wouldn't be a smart ass because yeah, that okay. will be the last <laughs> time that they ask you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've seen it happening with friends that did these things and a lot of times it didn't end up well. You can always do like an own suggestion, but if you have a better idea, I think it's better to give them a call or send them an email and say, hey, I have this other idea as well. Do you think it's cool that, um, that I try that out as well? Or yeah. I think you should be open about it and not arrogant. Do you do that often? Yeah, it depends. It's always good to get on a, on like a, like when I get a briefing, most of the times we set up my agent and me, we set up a call with the client to discuss discuss everything and then you can ask about these topics in a natural way and don't put a lot of weight on it yeah explore what they think and uh, a lot of the times there is actually a lot more freedom than you think but it's good to to know that up, up front what we do when failure occurs matters those can be the most valuable experiences if we are willing to learn from them i've asked Marijn to share some of the mistakes he made and the difficulties he experienced on his journey so far. There's so many things that, that went wrong. Uh, maybe from both sides, different expectations or... Yeah, and that's something that, that happens sometimes because I work in different styles or 
I create something and they had something completely different in mind or they didn't know exactly what they want and then you come up with something yeah. and they like, this is not what we want. That happens a lot, but also that you create something that's so cool and that, that you're really happy about and it never sees, sees the day of light because the project gets killed. And with illustration, that's okay. But we, we did some super cool animation projects that will never see the day of light. And that's so many hours. And you do get paid, but it's not always about the payment. And yeah. we have these things on our, <laughs> on our computer somewhere on file and we can't do anything with it. And that's, that's frustrating sometimes. Yeah. To come back to the, the question about the clients and expectations i mm -hmm. nowadays i always ask the client to to grab some images from my portfolio and send them to me this is the direction that we want this is what we have in mind i ask about colors when things are not in the brief and i think that they're relevant i always ask, do you have an idea about colors and if they say like no we leave that up to you that's clear and you know it's okay to ask a lot more questions than only the things that are in the brief if you're insecure about things Get as yeah. much information as possible, I guess. Yeah. I think that works for both parties. And even like I've been reading some literature about like those kind of things, positioning things, even from like the, the budget perspective, but it also goes with the creative perspective. When you as a, as a creative actually address some things and when you ask back and, and even like say like some obvious things that you would rather like avoid or you're afraid that maybe because of that, the client won't like you. But if you actually address them first, it really changes the whole dynamic. And it's actually the more professional dynamic. Yeah. Which is like very counterintuitive. And it's something that I've been just like thinking about recently. But even like with the money issue, if you know that you're, you have a certain fee and you're in a certain point in your career where you're not expecting certain types of budget, it would actually be good to like almost at the first interaction to raise an issue and be, or like just to raise the, the topic of money and be like, let's like talk about the budget because I might be a bit expensive because blah, blah, blah. And I think that's really... Absolutely. I 100% agree. Yeah. And that's what I also did, what I said in the beginning of this talk, all these things that you would, wouldn't mention when you, when you just start out, like you're scared to start a discussion about money or that you say things that would uh, maybe change the mind of an art director or yeah. it's super professional to any questions that you have or any concerns, just put them on the table and it will only benefit you. And if that is something that will scare the client away, they don't want to work with you in the first place. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good way to like validate the people that you're working with. The best case scenario, you just like showcase that you're a professional and you clear important questions very effectively and i mean the worst case scenario is like you don't get a job but it's fine like you don't have to get every job and probably a lot of those jobs aren't for you so yeah in the end it, those kind of jobs maybe become would become a real struggle or like super annoying or yeah but yeah. you know at this moment i'm much more confident i'm mid-career and i say no to clients a lot because i can afford it but I can really understand that if you're just starting out and only have one or two jobs each month and you can just make the rent, that you're much more scared to say these things. Yeah. It comes with experience, but it's, it's really good to consider. It's something that you kind of have to consider and kind of find the, the balance. Because yeah. Because you, you don't want to go into the other direction and then just becoming like a, 
like a yes person and just becoming a very indispensable contractor who does whatever. Yeah, I, I remember when I just started, we had a few lessons at art school about usage rights and fees that you should get. And yeah. there were some standards for it, some organization here in the Netherlands that they had standards. And then, then I would go to client meetings and then, or in emails, I would mention those things. And then a lot of the times I would never hear, hear back from them. Yeah. And then, <laughs> And that was something that after that, I just decided, no, I'm not going to mention these things again. Now I'd actually do. But I don't know, when I was young, the client kind of was kind of feeling that you were insecure, I guess, bringing up these things. And Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is like a progression and something that just kind of develops and you, you can kind of grow into it. But it's definitely important to always keep it in mind. It has to do a lot with self-confidence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And some people have that at a younger age. I didn't really have that. I mean, it's almost like, in a way, good to be humble in that way, because if you're never worked professionally or if you worked just a little bit, you don't actually know what kind of value you can provide. Maybe you can guess or maybe you had one or two projects, but you, it's almost delusional to be then confident about, about that. But then as you progress, you can see the impact of your work and the value that you actually give, and then your confidence develops. And then also later in the career, I I started seeing myself differently. And at first, I was like, I'm, I'm making a, a cool image, and uh, they're going to use it, and that's it. But later on, I started thinking about it more in a way like, I'm creating an image, and they are making money with that image. So yeah, I felt exactly. more confident to ask money for it, because they are making money. So that's... Yeah. Exactly. You want to be giving value. And if you're getting value, you should get something valuable in return. <laughs> yeah, but it took some time to, to find that out. We've come to the very end of my conversation with Marayan. As with other guests, I've asked him to highlight three parting pieces of advice based on what he learned so far. Here's what Marayan shared with me. The first thing would be, don't be afraid of the unknown. The unknown is super scary. Things you have never done can be really, really scary. For example, when the, when Nickelodeon reached out to me with the Yo Gabba Gabba show, it's like a huge TV show in the US. They wanted me to do an animation. I never did it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. I don't know how, but I'm going to pull it off. I never did anything with animation. I didn't know how it worked. I know my brother did it, but I wasn't in real good contact with him back then. So I was like, okay, let's go. And I did it and I was so scared. But then two months later, we had this animation. It was on national TV in the US. And it was like such an eye opener. Yeah. Don't be scared, go for it. And you will reach new heights and yeah, that's so that's like the most important thing, I guess. Don't be scared. Okay. Yeah, don't be scared of the unknown. The second, explore new things and technologies. Also to stay ahead and experiment with things. Don't get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the last thing is maybe it's really obvious, but you really have to put in the hours. You can be talented, but if you don't put in the hours, no one will notice. Just do a lot of work, but also be happy with it. 
For everybody at home keeping score, I believe we touched on a lot of useful information for anybody out there interested in illustration and growth as creative professional. I want to thank Marijn for coming onto the show. He's an awesome illustrator and an inspiring creative, and I'm grateful for the honest insights he shared with me. Links to Marijn's work, his Instagram, as well as to some other things mentioned during our conversation can be found in the show notes at creative.voyage slash podcast. You can follow at creative.voyage on Instagram, and you can also email me directly on hello at creative.voyage. Tell me what you think of the show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, and until next time, my friends, take care. <laughs>